the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is the number. Um, things that are falling apart uh, after great cost and misery and expense. Uh, perhaps the BLM movement, for reasons I said in the last hour, the resignation under scandal of the founder and executive director. Um, the statements you are now getting from people who have been involved in it and want nothing more to do with it. Um, perhaps Anthony Fauci scales are uh, falling from the eyes of those. Check out line six, Bill. Uh, scales are falling from the eyes of those who have propped him up, given all his denials, plus the new tranche of emails that have been released. Um, and just the very fact that while the Secretary of Homeland Security can say the border is secure, residents of Scottsdale are witnessing 1,200 illegal immigrants be put in a hotel in their shopping and education neighborhood. Why would you need that if the border is secure? You wouldn't. Things are, um, are falling quite quickly, I hope. But the point is, they didn't need to. And I'm remembering right now when Roosevelt asked uh, Churchill what they would call World War II. Churchill proposed the unnecessary war. And he said the unnecessary war because it was avoidable. All of this was avoidable. All of this all of this recrudescent thinking that race matters and that we should judge people by race. All of this notion that some lives are more important than others, some crimes are worse than others based on the race of the victim, if they're the right race or the wrong race. All of this is recidivist moralism at best. Um, with Anthony Fauci and the trust of science, we have seen what science is. We have seen what it means to be a relativist. We have seen what it means to observe the fact-value distinction. And we have seen what it means to put politics above public health. And hopefully we'll never do it again. But that, too, was unnecessary. Many of us were writing about this in March. Those of us who were, from that perspective, were lambasted. We were lambasted up until about a month ago being called Neanderthals. All of this takes place in a heightened political environment where anyone who dares dissent is not a Republican, is not a conservative, is not a political minority. They are, as I said, a Neanderthal, a racist, a, col a, racist, a colonialist, a fascist, in some cases, according to some professors, CNN, Danes, important. Also, sometimes we're simply worse than Hitler. January 6th is the event that the Democrats do not want to go away because they can milk it to help form and burn that narrative into amber. One of the people having none of it is my good and longtime friend, one of our great new conservative writers on the scene, Dan Galanter. He is a writer and entrepreneur living in Connecticut. 
always writes smartly, always writes provocatively, and thus his most recent piece in American Greatness is no exception. Elect the January 6th protesters to Congress. Dan, welcome back to the show. Hi, Seth. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Uh, let me start here. This is a big piece with a lot in it. Um, the big lesson of the last six months is just a reminder of what America has always known. The only type of person you can trust in politics is someone who doesn't want to be there. Talk to me. Well, it's, uh, it's a sad truth, but basically anyone who wants to become a politician is admitting that he wants to acquire power, usually as much as possible. That's not a terribly unusual thing, but that's really the worst person to be in charge of a, of a government like America's that's dedicated to individual liberty. And we're just very, very fortunate, I mean, miraculously fortunate, that we had George Washington setting an example as our first president, the, the only man to, uh, to leave the office voluntarily. And when King George the third, who we just defeated in the war, heard that George Washington voluntarily left office. He said, if that's true, then he's the greatest man alive. Right. And he really was. Right. No, that's right. And, 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 and so that gets us to a somewhat um, more uh, controversial position of yours, which is about the need to hold responsible not just leaders, but participants. This is chilling and well-written. Che Guevara had a wall of his office removed so he could watch people being executed. He was a psychopath. But if the men on the firing squad hadn't fired, he would have had nothing to watch. You're talking about those being held uh, in, um, in confinement from January 6th. You can talk about that if you like and paint the picture here. Uh, but, um, but something's going on quite quietly, isn't it, Dan, that is quite typical of countries with gulags and not quite typical of countries with things called habeas corpus, right? Yes, absolutely. This is, as far as I know, is, is unprecedented in American history. I certainly hope it is because it would be disastrous if this had been going on all along. But you know, we have reports when we were actually able to talk to the people who are being held in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. They haven't been charged. They certainly haven't been convicted of anything uh, under terrible circumstances. And uh, describing how they were being mocked for uh, trying to pray, they sing the national anthem every night to keep their spirits up. But there's actual cases of physical abuse. And one man's lawyer reported that he was beaten to the extent of having his orbital bone and orbital floor broken. And apparently he may never recover his vision. That's that's gulag type stuff. It sure is. And it's gulag type stuff when, I mean, there's so much involved in the Ashley Babbitt story. You have a woman protester, the only woman literally killed at the January 6th event. She was, I guess we would say, a partisan of Trump's. Um, she was not uh, one there to protect the Capitol uh, in, in, in a physical, immediate sense. She was, she was part of the, uh, the, the crowd that stormed the Capitol in, in support of Donald Trump. And she was unarmed. In fact, everyone was unarmed. The idea that this was a violent insurrection would be a novelty to the degree that there have been no weapons charges brought against anyone as far as I know. But in her case, she was shot unarmed by a member of law enforcement whose name we don't know and I don't think we'll ever know. And that simply would not be the case if it happened in any other major city or if she were of a different color. Yes. Well, you have to remember that the left does not 
see human beings. They, they don't acknowledge human beings. What they see is political objectives. And Ashley Babbitt is uh, going against their political objective. She's an enemy, and therefore she has no value as a human life. It's, it's a mistake, though, to think that they really value George Floyd either. Again, he's just a political objective for them, and he, has to be, he happens to be going in the same direction. He's concurrent. He helps with their flow. Uh, but but the left's contempt for human life is is on evidence, and basically every country where the left has has succeeded in taking over, they begin by by literally literally massacring all their opponents. And the sort of behavior that we have creeping up around the fringes right now and taking place in the special detention facility indicates that the left in America is really no different from the historical left that has wrought such bloody revolutions in, in countries all across the world. You know, there's this interesting uh, discussion that kind of merges into this. I was having with some of my uh, listeners, Dan, in the last hour. We're talking to Dan Gilerter, um, contributor over at American Greatness. Dan, uh, we were talking in the last um, segment or in the last hour with some listeners who are um, furious about a thing going on in Scottsdale here. I don't know if it's made national news. It's hardly made local news. But Scottsdale's a very leafy in one of your nicer cities in America, never mind Arizona. And in that um, nice leafy city of Scottsdale, they are, the feds are renting a hotel. Immigrations and Customs is renting an, a hotel for 1,200 illegals um, awaiting, um, awaiting uh, amnesty um, determinations. Uh, this, is, this is planted right in the heart of Scottsdale, not far from a high school, certainly amongst my point in saying this and bringing this up is these things are going on and the press is not really reporting much on it. And they're going on with the complicity of people who voted for this stuff. At what point do we hold them accountable? So my listeners were saying, you know, people just kind of voted for Joe Biden because they thought he was the nicer guy. Well, is this nicer? Is, is it better to have 1,200 illegals living in a hotel on the government's dime in the heart of Scottsdale than no, to I, have I, someone who tweets nasty? I don't think people even voted for Joe Biden, frankly. But even if we were to to suggest that that's the case, you know, uh, a lot of us have the feeling that we're not really living in a democratic society, by, by which I mean a society that's a democracy. I mean, um, it, no surprise. It perhaps is more surprising in, in Scottsdale, but in New York City, you know, de, de Blasio has been... Uh, hiring four-star hotels for the length of the pandemic to to move homeless people into and ruining neighborhoods left and right, with the very notable exception of his own uh-huh. on the Upper East Side uh-huh. near the mayoral mansion, around which, by the way, he built a wall, which is the only livable part of the city left. Uh, but uh, you know, hold, hold that thought, and you're on a roll. And I hate to do it, but I have to do this commercial break. This obscene commercial break. Uh, Dan, you can stay with us, right? We have a lot more. I'll let you finish that thought when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Dan Gillerinter. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have with us Dan Galerter. He is a writer whose most recent piece at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, is elect the January 6th protesters to Congress. Um, and he's going into some interesting areas here that um, that haven't been thought through in a long time at a regime level, right, Dan? Because we're talking about regime-level threats having Absolutely. to do with civil liberties and criminal justice, right? Yeah, this is, um, 
I mean, people people talk about our elected representatives as though they are. They're actually they're not our elected representatives anymore. People at every level of government now are behaving like little dictators uh, who abuse their power to the absolute limit they think they can get away with. We've expanded the unelected bureaucracy to a point where it's sort of uh, a, uh, a just a, a, a mutual deal between the two, where they're working to expand government at our at our expense, taking away our liberty one little slice at a time. Probably one of the best distinctions I've ever read between the American and French revolution revolutions uh, is um, your four-sentence one in this piece. You just do a great job. And that's what we're talking about, too, for people that want to think about terms of regime-level threats and what we're going through. Discuss the distinctions um, you do, if you don't mind, Dan, between the American and the French revolutions, because they're clearly, very, very, very clearly right now, is a redounding to analogs in 1984 as much as there are the Committee on Public Safety. Absolutely. Now, the French Revolution seemed to start off pretty well, and as a matter of fact, some of the the original French revolutionaries were inspired by the American Revolution, by what we achieved over here. There was correspondence between founding fathers, including Washington, and some of the French, but they made a couple of crucial mistakes that utterly changed the character of their revolution and the entire future history of France. The first was that they completely abolished religion. They thought they could get along without it. Now, as uh, as you know, or as as we should know, if if our schools hadn't been lying to us, I mean, my my generation was completely misled and lied to in elementary school about the the founding of our country. But America's revolution was steeped in religion, and people who gave uh, speeches that that um, inspired patriots to break away from Britain and go their own way uh, made explicit comparisons between us and the ancient Israelites, and they invoked the Bible all the time, and they quoted passages from it. This was, um, it was a freedom of religion revolution, but one that, that in which uh, religion played a very important part. Now, the French instead said, we don't need religion. Not only do we not need it, we're going to ban it and make it illegal. And they, they sacked their churches, stole the sacred objects, converted them into temples of reason. They actually called them that. That's right. So understand this, folks. We went from temples of faith or temples to temples of reason. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes, and they, they thought that that would be an adequate substitute. Right. And they conducted these, uh, what they called Republican marriages, which was a sick joke where they took priests and nuns and tied their hands together and threw them into the Seine to drown. That was the sort of thing that their reason came up with. Right, because science and, was more important. Exactly. And, and they invented all sorts of ridiculous things, like a 10-day week that, that didn't last right, and right. Were, were abolished almost They had to remake the world, of course. Yes. Yeah. And, and it was a terrible catastrophe, and it turned out that the best that we could do in terms of reason was actually a very poor substitute for tradition that had been worked out and evolved <laughs> over thousands of years. That had worked it, just fine, thank you very much. Yes, yes, keep going, keep going. And and the other big mistake they made, the huge and crucial mistake, which is sort of a companion of, of abolishing religion, deciding you're just going to re- rely on reason, is that they forgot that uh, the king wasn't inherently bad because he was the king. The king was bad from their perspective because he was a man of unlimited powers. Right. And they replaced him with a series of little potentates who were also of unlimited powers. And, and that every, basically every revolution since the American has, has failed because they made the same mistake. They were very excited revolutionaries. They toppled the government, but they didn't know what to do once they were in charge because they realized, wow, 
now we have all this power and it's great. I can't possibly conceive giving it up. So they go around murdering all their opponents and strengthening their own hand arbitrarily. Now, the American Revolution was was gifted with, I would say, supernatural foresight in this respect um, by by chaining the new government from the very beginning into an extremely limited role. I mean, we didn't we didn't even have the power to uh, to levy an income tax, as you know, until a constitutional amendment was, I think, very foolishly powered to enable that. Because the founding fathers thought that the minute you give the government a load of money, it's going to become corrupt. Mm-hmm. And Jefferson and uh, nervous about the power that, to tax in the first place, right? Yes, right. absolutely. Right. Jefferson said, "God forbid we should have tax collectors in America." Can right. you imagine such a terrible thing? <laughs> right. Right. But you make an important point, which is it's the character of the leadership of the regime, not necessarily the regime, right? Thomas Jefferson said it was not an elective despotism we fought for. And that's the other thing that the French forgot, isn't it? That you can have popular tyrants and elected tyrants as well as monarchical ones if you lose the character in the people. Governments with unlimited powers find it difficult or impossible to respect the rights of of people who don't share their opinions. You know, the minority groups, in many cases, they're at, and I don't mean minority in terms of race, of course, I mean of opinion and political affiliation. And it turned out that in any, every revolution after the American Revolution, uh, they were actually majority groups that hated the government. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, the French Republic and uh, and subsequent like the the soviet regime had such difficulty hanging on and they could only do it by exterminating and imprisoning very substantial portions of their population to the point where every other citizen lived in fear of his life that was the only way these governments could survive yeah no that's right that's right dan um and you know it's a it's it's an interesting thing because i want to i want to bring it up to a to a slight um how do I say this? I want to bring this up to a current event that goes back to a previous column of yours, if I can do it this way. Because one of the interesting things is these terms get very corrupted over time. And certainly one of the terms that's been corrupted, government, freedom, democracy, republic, all these things get destroyed. You said about five sentences ago, your generation was lied to in your schools. I want to know what you meant by that. Well, this is, I think, um, again, referring to an earlier piece, the result of a very deliberate scheme of the left to destroy America. I mean, it, it, it was sort of a Soviet scheme, but in, in reality, it's sort of a global Marxist-Leninist scheme. The idea of destroying America not by having a, a traditional war where they send in tanks and troops and take over the country, but simply by destroying our moral fiber and our, our sense of who we are as a country. And the way they were going to do this was by infiltrating the schools, elementary schools and high schools and our universities and teaching us to doubt our principles and to hate our founders, to have contempt for everything that makes our country so remarkable. And they thought that by doing this, they could destroy our, essentially our will to live. Hold and that thought. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Destroy our will to live. I want to come back on that and that war in the schools. You're the person, per, perfect person to talk with us about it, Daniel, and I'm going to keep you a little longer to talk, go right into that, because I think there is an air and a ground war of progressivism going on, and the education system is the ground war. We'll talk about that and the air war when we come back. More from me and Dan Gallanter when we do come right back.
Delighted to have with us uh, Dan Galerter. He uh, has a piece up today at American Greatness, elect the January 6th protesters to Congress. He's a writer and entrepreneur in Connecticut. Dan, your generation uh, was lied to, you said, in your schools, your education. Repeat what you said right before the break. I want to pick up from it if I can. But the generation that you are, so what, under 35, let's say, you you were lied to how? Well, um Basically, they tried to conceal the true story of the founding of America, the brilliant inspiration that was driving the men who created the country, the um, unprecedented and extraordinary generosity of this nation uh, in every generation since its founding, extraordinary stories of courage and so forth, and replace that with a sense of self-loathing and contempt that would make everyone ashamed, every one of us ashamed to be an American. And it was it was a deliberate external program of taking over schools and, and then the universities with the ultimate goal of destroying America's moral fiber and it, its will to stand uh, stand up for itself. And what turns out to be interesting, I've, I've called that the ground war. The air war came a little later almost, uh, didn't it? Uh, maybe, maybe that war you're describing started 30, 35, 40 years ago. The war I'm describing was more like five years ago, six years ago, or at least that opening of the battlefront where it became um, vogue to uh, uh, for adults, vogue for adults to um, uh, take a knee or protest the national anthem, let's say, um, or, um, or, 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 or condemn major institutions uh, in this country in the name of condemning the national anthem uh, for law enforcement, police is what I'm talking about. You can destroy a country from within that way by destroying its um, its belief in itself. That, that, that's, that's, that's been written about from philosophers to, from Plato to, 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 to today. But, but what's interesting to me, Dan, and what I think is new is how many people were willing to go along with it, how many people were getting engaged in it. And that it has now permeated this air and ground war, almost every institution, including the military and including corporate America. I joke, but not laughingly, that the only institution it hasn't hit yet is talk radio. <laughs> well, I, I don't think, as a matter of fact, that um, it's so much the vogue now for adults to take a knee as it is for adults simply to be children. Okay. And. The, that's the problem with my generation and the, the millennials and the, the slightly olders also, is that um, we're still children at heart because we never had the benefit of all of the things that would have developed our character as young people and caused us to become adults. And there's more to becoming an adult than simply growing physically larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we never learned all of that other stuff because uh, as, a, as a young man, you're no longer allowed to um, to engross yourself in studies of manliness and how to comport yourself as a man in rules of being a gentleman or, or chivalry, chivalrous behavior, of course, is a complete non-starter. And as a, as a young lady, you're supposed to just want to be a man. And so everyone grows up completely confused with no real sense of, of who they are or who they ought to be. And so there's really nothing to do but go along with, uh, with infantile and childish gestures like taking a knee during the national anthem. You know, it's such an interesting thing when you talk about that, the man, the woman thing. Um, it's, it's such an interesting thing because it's here we are again trying to overcome French Revolution-like nature, trying, to, try, trying, trying really in a sense to, to, to bring heaven down uh, on earth as every failed progressive experiment uh, learned 
only results in bringing hell up to it. But here we are trying to engage in that very thing by violating those very rules that founded us, laws of nature and nature's God, that we knew we were subject to. There is only one country that really successfully grew out of Marxist beginnings and learned its lesson, which is, which is actually Israel, which at the very beginning tried to set itself up as a socialist paradise on their kibbutzes, and they had very aggressive Marxist ideas, which included having children taken away from their parents and raised by the community. That's However, right. yeah. they discovered right. very quickly that yeah. this was, was a terrible mm-hmm. catastrophe, and mm-hmm. it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so they, they changed the way they uh, comported themselves. They turned themselves into a, a capitalist power and intellectual superpower, and as a result, the Marxists abandoned them and helped found the PLO in 1972 and decided to turn the Arab world into their, their, Marxist, uh, their Marxist insurrectionists instead. Well said, well put, Dan Galerter. Right, right. It's interesting. As I said, it was the unnecessary war because it was avoidable. All of this is unnecessary, too, because we've been through it again and again and again. Reminds me of that line of C.S. Lewis's, Dan, sometimes the real progressive is the first guy to realize he's on the wrong path and turns back. Bless you and your family for all you do and um, teach. I appreciate uh, your writing, and I appreciate your time with us today, Dan. Thanks very much for having me. My love to everyone. Talk to you soon. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. My friends at Trades Unlimited there for all your roofing needs, are telling you right now about their expertise in foam roofing as well. Foam roofs help insulate from the extreme Arizona heat, but also from exterior noises and water leaks, most importantly. I know these folks well. I have gone down to their offices. I've met with them. I've referred business to them as well beyond this radio show. And I can honestly say these people well deserve the AAA rating they have at the BBB at Trades Unlimited. Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. And the hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775. That's 480-483-1775. Or find them online at tradesunlimited.com. Well, there's an old friend, David in Scottsdale. Hello, David. Hey, Seth. How are you doing? It's really nice to hear your voice. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I haven't called in for a while. I've been doing a lot of listening, and I like the listening better than me calling in. Oh, well, (laughs) I'd reverse it. I'd love to hear from you more. Hey, no, seriously. uh, It's all good. It's all good. I was at the uh, last, well, this time last week. Yes. Crisis at the border. Yes, sir. I was there in the audience, and it was a good night. It was a good turnout. It was... uh, you were a great host, Seth, and a good MC. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It was an emotional evening, wasn't it? It was. It was. Um, I know uh, Congressman Biggs um, teared up, and uh, but it was a good night. Yep. Um, and I wanted to come and say hi to you. And what happened was, I'll, real quick, uh, I got talking with Dr. Sebastian Garka, your fellow Salem host. Yes, sir. And we got on the conversation of firearms, and uh, unfortunately, I couldn't get to you before you disappeared behind the, <laughs> the curtain. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll make something work one of these days. <laughs> 
So I was I was shooting for you, and I just never made it in time. Oh, I'm so sorry. sorry. Anyway, it was a great night. But that uh, yes. So uh, the topic I was calling in for tonight, and I told Bill was I've been working locally, and this is obviously for lo- uh, you and local uh, listeners. Scottsdale Road and Mountain View is the hotel right. with the, let's say, illegal immigrants, yes. illegal migrants. Yes. How do you want to pitch it? I, I, illegal yeah. immigrants. That's what that's what they're called in federal law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been passing that for a week, Seth. Uh, the hotel is on, like I say, Scottsdale Road and Mountain View. Yep. Uh, it, the hotel was up for lease. This is what I've got the story about. Um there's about 700 plus in there, up to 1,200. Um, I've been passing it every day. It's a little shocking, Seth. Oh, I it's mean, more than you, a little shocking. It's it's. You, it's you drive past. I've been driving yeah. past for a week, yeah. and I live up on Scottsdale Road in North Scottsdale. Uh, they've got armed guards, yep. armed security yep. on the door. Yep. Uh, it's. And I was wondering what was going on. I was like, is there a celebrity there? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Is there a politician there? Yeah. Like you see when, when politicians come into town? Right. No. No, it's housed by 700 illegal migrants. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's on our front door, Seth. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people Proximity pay to high schools, when proximities to all kinds of uh, shopping and residences. It's, it's, yeah, it's right next to Chaparral yep, High School, that's right. actually. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's and what, I know there's a, a peaceful protest this evening. Yep. I think it's going on right now, yep. which is a good thing. Yep. Um, but, I mean, what do you do? I mean, it's, you start there. But, you start there. Yeah. You call your city council, and you never vote for these fools again. Exactly. I mean, I know what's happened. They're doing this, and apparently, I heard from a local resident, they bring the migrants in. Let's rephrase that. They bring the illegals in at night in dark school buses that are wrapped. Did you know that? I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Yeah, they bring them in at night, at nightfall, after like 9 p.m., and they fill up and then drop them off and then go away. So, And what's shocking to me, what's shocking to me is DHS and ICE are involved. Yes, of course. They have no choice. They have no choice. That night thing is so interesting to me. You know, Martin Luther King, you know what he said? He said, why we don't, why we don't march at night? Why? We have nothing to be ashamed of. That's cool. Martin Luther King marched during the day. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Makes no, sense. the cover of night, oh, the whole thing is so eerie, David. It's so eerie. Um, it is. And but as I what? said, if, 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 if eight months ago I told you elect Biden and you'll have 1,200 illegal immigrants living in hotels in Scottsdale, people would have thought I was a fool. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did advertise it. It was part of his policy. It really was, you know. If you if you think about it, before the November, if you election, think you're insulated from America, you're not. That's the point yeah. here. It, it, it's this very doesn't just to happen home. to other guys anymore. It happens to all of us. Yeah, but what's what's annoying to me, Seth, is that ICE and the DHS they're supposed to return them. They're supposed to fight this, but they're implicated in it. No, they've been totally hampered. It's totally demoralizing. They've become clerks in many respects. I have tremendous, tremendous respect for these guys, but they have, um, they have been, they have been reduced from that which they signed up um, to do uh, with 
great duty and lovingly so and the protection of you and me and our country, they have been turned into clerks, processing clerks, whose job is to play the bureaucratic game of filling out the paperwork, holding these people for the statutory time, usually 72 hours, and then moving them along to the next place and doing, getting up and doing it again, to quote Jackson Brown, the next day. They, they have been reduced from, you know, the protection of our front door to little more than nameless, faceless bureaucrats in a machine that has turned our immigration system into nothing more than a wheel that they just keep spinning and spinning and spinning with people coming in and out and in and out. And often enough, it's the same people. Bill, what do I have in this break? There we are. We have a minute left. Let me put in a word for my friend Solar Sandy, who is the person you want to call if you're tired of those utility bills and thinking about going solar. Solar Sandy has the formula, and it's so important that if you go solar, you do it the right way. She has actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. And if you sign up now, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com or call her at 623-850-8229. That's AskSolarSandy.com. Tell her Seth sent you. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. If you didn't get on, give us a call tomorrow. We'll put you right on. Can't get out of my mind that five- or six-year-old uh, Miss Young Lady Yeshua, her dad, Corey Yeshua, talking about why they don't abide by critical race theory. And the little five- or six-year-old girl says, if you're nice and smart, you can be my friend. Your skin doesn't matter. And at the end, she says, we pray for hurt people. And I can't get that out of my mind. I mentioned how it reminded me of Ruby Bridges earlier. Do you know the story of Ruby Bridges? It might ring a bell if I tell you about a Norman Rockwell painting that captured her life at a critical moment in New Orleans in 1960. The painting ended up being called The Problem We All Live With, and it depicts this beautiful little girl being escorted by U.S. Marshals Dwight Eisenhower sent in to escort her to the integrated school in New Orleans. And she was pelted with tomatoes and people threw rocks and stones, uh, rocks and twigs at her and uh, any, any, anything they could find from the trash. But that little girl put on her white dress and war- marched proudly to school every single day. And you know what she told Robert Coles later, one of her biographers? I knew those people were suffering too and I prayed for them every day. Wow. Wow. Some things about American history are just too good to be lied about. And it makes it so unfortunate that, as Dan Galanter said, a whole generation was lied to. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and class dismissed.